bottom line is you should all be good salespeople because you should be able to sell your business. And don't worry too much about that. Just be organized and learn sales strategies in terms of building CRMs, following up with people, you know, treat them like prospects like you would do for your business anyway in the sales department. Welcome to The Wagon Live. This week, we have Scott Simpkin speaking to us, campaigns team leader for Cedars, who's telling us all the secrets to crowdfunding. Previously an entrepreneur himself, Scott joined Europe's leading equity crowdfunding platform Cedars as a campaigns associate in April 2017. His role at Cedars is to work with businesses from the very beginning of the fundraising journey, helping the businesses undergo a successful campaign. Since joining, Scott's helped over 50 businesses such as Allplants, Mercato Metropolitano and Marco Polo Learning successfully complete their equity crowdfunding campaign. He also holds five different mentorship roles at accelerator programs across the country. Cedars is an equity crowdfunding platform for investing in startups and later stage businesses throughout Europe and is currently the UK's most prolific funder of startups. In 2019, 212 businesses were funded on Cedars. Keep listening to hear all his secrets. I uh, did my first talk at the wagon in in Shoreditch, so uh, this is a bit different, but uh, probably have more people this time, so <laughs> that's the advantage of webinars. Um, so I, um, uh, my, I, I basically I've I've been kind of in entrepreneurism since I graduated university for about so it's about five years now. Um, the first two years, um, well, actually, there's a bit of preamble towards that because. When I came out of university, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to become a lawyer. Uh, it turned out from uh, um, from a number of experiences of that, that that was a terrible idea. I would have made a terrible lawyer, so it's probably a good thing. Uh, but actually, interestingly, I've always been interested in entrepreneurship. One of my friends um, was planning on starting a business afterwards, and I was at a bit of a loose end because I just made, just made the decision not to go to law school. Um, so he was like, oh, can you help me out a bit, Scott, with this? I was like, yeah, sure. Um, uh, he, the, the business I started with, actually, was it, it was an app for university students to um, basically crowdfund their everyday decisions. Sorry, not crowdfunds. I'll get to that later. Crowdsource their everyday decisions. So the idea would be you take a picture of, I don't know, your shoes, uh, two pairs of shoes, and it would say, uh, which shoes should I wear today? And you could post it out to people anonymously in your local area and people would answer the question for you. So you get a notification with 25 answers back, you know, 10 minutes later saying, yeah, wear the blue shoes. Uh, it was called Waggle It, in case any of you want to look it up. Um, waggle because the bee waggle dance. Um, uh, and um, again, cutting a very long story short, I think with this business, um, I mean, it got serious in the, to the extent that we, you know, we raised the seed round of funding. Um, uh, we got... I think at its peak, it had about 14,000 downloads, including about 10% of, you know, certain universities around the country using it, which is really cool. Um, uh, but um, gosh, uh, I did made about every mistake an entrepreneur should make during that process, um, which I'm happy to go to great, de great detail for. But essentially, neither me nor my founder was a, this is partly why I'm here and I'm passionate about this, neither me nor my founder were um, tech uh, founders, so we couldn't. Neither of us could code, so we um, uh, we teamed up with somebody that could. But there was a weird relationship between us in which we didn't really trust him with our business, so we didn't want to give him equity. He didn't. He he didn't. He really wanted equity to be part of the business. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't really have anyone better or available. 
Um, and uh, it just it just tore, tore the whole relationship apart because we ended up paying for his services without giving him equity. It wasn't really incentivizing in the right way. We also spent way too much money creating the product. We should have gone to Lawag and learned how to code to do it and create an MVP. Um, luckily, the way too much money is not... Uh, I've I've seen I've seen businesses spend more money, a lot more money since I've been at Cedars. Mm-hmm. So comparatively, it's not too bad. But we spent about twenty grand getting that app up and running, and basically made zero pounds revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, that was that was tough. But I I we we eventually pivoted the business. Um, uh, yeah, there's a very long story cut short on on the Waggalit journey. Um, uh, we got amazing user figures, but the drop-off was enormous. So we would we would have people using it madly, like literally asking 150 questions in a week, and then they would go, and we didn't really know what the problem was. There were a few tech fixes we needed to do with the um, uh, reporting questions and stuff. Some people misused it. So we, we pivoted it to um, uh, a, uh, a company called Buzzer, which was a, um, a feedback for restaurants. So basically, we were asking the same questions and using the same code. But we were doing it to instead poll restaurant goers about their meal at the table. So we we made it into hardware. We put like iPhones and iPads into the table um, and uh, got reviews for restaurants. Again, a very long story cut short on that. That was way more successful. We built the product on way less money. You know, maybe spent 3K doing it. We got a CTO who we trusted. Really nice guy. Fantastic. Did really good work with that. We got we got on two accelerated programs in London. Um, uh, uh, yes, in London. Um, one of them was Just Eat. So Just Eat actually invested in us, which is pretty cool. Um, and uh, we made revenue, which is great. But uh, at the point in which we were about to ramp up, I mean, uh, I knew it was going to be hard. The business development side of things was very tough because neither of us knew about the restaurant industry. Mm. You know, try selling door to door into restaurants. That's what I did for six months. You never get to speak to the person. It's a horrible experience. I'd never recommend it. Mm. Um, uh, got some customers, but it was just such hard work. Uh, and I actually got offered the job at Cedars while I was there um, and uh, decided, hang on, I learned to load in this two years being an entrepreneur, but I don't know enough yet. This is a great way to just look at companies, help them with fundraising, use my expertise that I've done in terms of the fundraising that I've done previously to help entrepreneurs raise money. And I've been there for three years. I I now specialize in uh, seed campaigns. So I help uh, companies raising less than 350K normally, which is kind of fits with my expertise anyway. I I much prefer working with the smaller ones right at the beginning of the journey rather than the venture-backed businesses, which often confuses my colleagues at Cedars. But uh, um, it's yeah, that's the reality. So, really. what just to um, so getting us up to this point? When you started at Cedars, what was your role, and how has that kind of changed over your three years there? Yeah, sure. So, I, I mean, my role is is anchored in the same thing. So, I'm, I'm basically I'm a campaigns associate. What that means is I um, I'm the first port of contact for business. So, if you went to Cedars right now and signed up to raise, you would meet. Or, or get it put in contact with me or somebody else. Um, it's also my job to look out there and find businesses as well um, that are right for, for the platform. But a, a very large part of my job is making sure the business is ready to fundraise. That's something that, um, you know, the weird thing about crowdfunding is I think very few people actually understand how to do it properly. 
um, because it's such a new form of fundraising and it requires a lot of education to founders. So I will often, you know, a very large part of my job is strategizing fundraisers mm. and making sure that you are um, you know, ready for uh, a round to be successful. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I kind of do a lot of the coaching. I do the onboarding and I do the um, uh, campaign strategizing as well, making sure that you're saying the right things in your campaign and, and pitching to the right investors, basically. So like in in your past you've founded a couple of companies um what yeah. what kind of uh what specifically do you think makes uh your experience like per, uh perfect for, or what advice do you pass on to um the companies that you're helping out um i think uh i mean yeah like i i touched on it with a lot of my comments and mm. that i think it's um you know the Actually, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll circle back to the main advice I'd do it is if any of you are on the call, which I think a lot of you, uh, you know, from my last experience when I taught, when I did this before, there were lots of budding entrepreneurs and people that are just starting and thinking about it. I think the best advice is I'm sitting here with two failed companies, essentially. Mm. And um, uh, I absolutely regret absolutely none of what I did. It was the, in, in, that, in those two years of founding those businesses and doing that stuff, I learned more than I've done at any other period of my life. Um, it, I would not have got this job or being, being able to give the advice at Cedars had I not done it. Um, and, uh, I think, I think the, 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 the main thing I would do is, is I, 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 I see a load of friends that have fantastic ideas, fantastic concepts. They just, they're just so scared of failure. They don't really do it. They're scared to leave their job. They're scared to do this. I think the bottom line is if you live most of your life like that, particularly when you're young and you have no responsibilities, then it sets a precedent and you're not going to be able to do the do that in the in in the future so i think i think the the main thing the main advice i would give is um you know from my position where i was hardly successful uh i it, it was it was it was i learned the most out of that experience and i would definitely definitely do it again um if i had my time over regardless of the result because of that and um i would encourage anyone that's thinking about starting a business idea uh, or doing it, you know, keep an open mind. Obviously, if it's not working, don't persevere. Don't raise loads of money for an idea that, or, or a business that you know is doomed. That that's how you get yourself in trouble. But just try it. You know, go go for it. Do something because it it, it you really will, won't regret it no matter what the results. You'll learn so much. You think you learn more or learn as much from your failures as you do from your successes? Well, probably more because you take it to heart more. Uh, look, you, I did things right. I did things wrong. And um, yeah, that certainly a lot of the advice I give, I do a bit of mentorship on the side as well to uh, founders at early stage. To be honest, it helps me legitimize my two years because I'm, I, I will be a founder again at some point in my life. I know I will. I definitely want to do it. Mm -hmm. I just want to, you know, build up my knowledge a little bit more and, and be ready again. Um, uh, and um, I, I just enjoy giving, you know, the, the, the advice that I give these people in, in mentorship is nearly always don't do what I did <laughs> um, because that's what sticks in the mind most. It's, um, it, it sounds like between the first company that you founded and the second one, that a gap was in the technical, the like technical aspect of it. Um, you said like, oh, I should have done the wagon. Do you, how did you improve from the second, from the first company to the second? Yeah, this is a really good question, particularly if, any of you are developers. Um, so what was interesting is when I did my first company, I don't think I quite understood um, the concept of an MVP or what it was for. I knew what an MVP was and we did create an MVP, but it was just kind of like a word we used for our first product. It was like, oh, we're going to do our MVP. We didn't, we didn't really think about what features needed to be in the MVP. For us, it was really version one, but stripped down. We were just going to improve once we got people. 
Um, we did a little bit of research, but you know what? I've got this amazing anecdote which could have made the com the difference to the company. So there is a company uh, called, uh, I think it's called TBH, that was from the US. Um, they sold to Facebook in 2018 for $600 million. Uh, they started after Waggleit, and the only difference between that company and Waggleit was that it was anonymous polling as well, but you could only ask questions that were pre-picked. You couldn't compose your own questions. So we knew we needed to get user feedback. We had this like uh, pre-launch party where we invited all our friends to use it. And the idea was we'd watch them using it and get feedback on how to do it. Really good idea, perfect. All of you should do this with all your products anyway. So that was fantastic. The issue was I went in one room, my co-founder went in the other. The room I was moderating in, we hadn't really talked about moderation, but I just let my friends use it. And my founder was just like, you're now going to ask a question about what shoes you should wear. And you're now going to ask a question about your day, etc. To be honest, you know, he, he probably didn't moderate his room correctly. But what was interesting is, what did all my friends use it for? They used it to take the piss out of each other. Uh, and they weren't told to use it for anything. Mm -hmm. And we, we convened afterwards. I remember having the conversation with my founder where I said, you know, that was interesting. And he goes, well, that's because you didn't moderate it. And I was like, oh, well, that's fair. Like people will download it for a reason. They'll be told it's like an app that you're, you're polling people. We said, maybe we should just put in a little bell so you can report a question in case this is a problem. And he was like, yeah, sure. That's a short coding fix. Let's do that. Turns out this was the entire problem with the whole business. And we'd spotted it with mm. that. So we we created the whole app with all the all the features and this bell that was reporting just wouldn't work. People wouldn't use it. So we would have questions that we knew were bad and people knew were bad, but no one was reporting it because they couldn't find this bell and they didn't know what it was. So we'd failed the most basic test in user research mm -hmm. and we'd spent a lot of money on building a product that we that was in market. We couldn't solve the problem. So we couldn't solve the thing that was downing the product. So what was amazing is we thought we'd done the right thing by doing user research. We ended up ignoring the one thing that could ignoring have saved us from this whole thing. And had we made the small change to the user research of uh, writing questions that were pre-organized so we could stop people writing bad questions, then look, I'm not saying I would have sold to Facebook for 600 million, but another business did. And they did a small difference and a small mm. change. And we knew we had a viral product. It was just being used for the wrong things. So that's a big big lesson but um uh, and a really important anecdote in why you should do rigorous user testing at the beginning and not build too much of the product before you can you know you need to be agile with how you release features on an ongoing mm -hmm. basis as well that's a, that's a really good anecdote um i'm going to look at if, see if any of the polls have uh there are polls guys so um there, there are a couple of questions out there um if you want to respond to those then uh we can add those details in uh, late, like throughout our talk. Um, so um, speaking about like your kind of uh, work with uh, all of the companies that um, you, uh, you know, you foster their growth and shape their portfolios in the beginning, um, how do you ensure that all their uh, development goes smoothly? You know, to be honest, when we invest in companies, we will, um, so we don't invest directly. By the way, I saw that was one of the questions, actually, to see does invest in companies directly. No, we just facilitate the ability for um, investors to uh, invest via a digital platform. So the ease is if you were accepting investment directly, you would have to use, and I've done this, 
um, term sheets, shareholder agreements, articles of association, that kind of thing. Um, and that's all rigorous. It involves lawyers. It, you, you know, you, people, investors quite often don't see that. And the problem we're really solving at its very core is we're allowing people to digitally make investments and you get your share certificates via the computer for making those investments. We're holding the money. We're dealing with all the legal stuff. You say you don't have to. And obviously, we're giving you access to investors, which is important. With regards to your question on you know, development stuff, we, we don't advise businesses really on, on how to move forwards. Um, uh, what we tend to say with, you know, it's very hands off. We're just providing the platform for you to raise investment and, and putting a proposition together. I would say that um, you know, if, you're, if you're a tech heavy product or a SaaS product, you definitely need a plan and exactly how you're gonna use the money and what you're going to do in the mm -hmm. future. And um, uh, it needs to be credible and make sense in, in your growth phase, incredible by, you know, if you're raising 50K and you're saying you're going to hire seven developers, you know, that's just not going to work. So it needs to be credible with in that sense, too. So I guess we, you know, we really help businesses, um, you know, put together a proposition that is going to be credible for investors, mm -hmm. but we certainly don't have any input in, in what you do or how you run your right. business in that sense. Okay, sorry, that's a misunderstanding on my part. Um, so uh, could you give a basic uh, intro for everyone listening into how crowdfunding works? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, basic, basic intro. It goes against my entire mantra. Crowdfunding is actually complicated, but I, I know it's, 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 I'll try to be as succinct as possible. Uh, basically, um, the way I like to use it is think about um, uh, every, when everyone thinks of investors, investors in the business, they think of Dragon's Den and going to investor events and these angel syndicates and stuff. You know, the reality is in 95% of businesses, including my own, including my own fundraise, in 95% of businesses I met at their first fundraising stage, um, they don't get, they get investor from people. The first investor is someone they already know. It's not so mythical angel or an investor. And this is why I'm so passionate about what we're doing at Cedars because um, the investor is not a thing. Like anyone could be an investor. They just need the to like your idea and have the inclination. And the only barrier to people doing that previously was they didn't have 20 grand spare because that was the minimum ticket size people want to invest in businesses because that's what made it worth the effort of looking at the pitch deck, you know, doing all the investor documentation, everything. We allow people to invest for 10 pounds because the internet, yeah. <laughs> and that's really cool. It's opening up investment to literally anybody that has ever liked what you've done in your business and uh, wants to, you know, support what you've done and buy shares. And I look that that's, um, that I think is the most amazing part about it, but really that is an introduction to crowdfunding. It's taking them taking the model away from you are pitching to investors. You know, think of Dragon's Den, think of the investor pitch events, and it's saying put your proposition online, get as many people in as possible. It doesn't matter if they've ever made an investment before. We handle everything for them. It doesn't matter if they don't have twenty grand spare. The minimum investment size is a tenner, mm -hmm. um, and you can raise from you know, 300, 400 investors instead of three or four, you know, rich uncles, basically. Um, it's just a, yeah, it's a, it opens up a whole load of new opportunities, I think. So um, do what, um, I, I'm not sure how far I'm allowed to like venture, <laughs> venture off script, but what, when companies um, use your platform, is, is their obligation to, or do they, um, do you buy equity in their company? Is that how no, so 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 every every founder that comes will have a uh, valuation for their business. They'll have an amount they want to give away. 
Yeah, well, you wouldn't be able to buy equity in in me, I guess. So you couldn't do it via Cedars. You'd have to do it via Kickstarter. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's it's um uh so it's uh yeah essentially we um we do uh you, you pick your valuation um and we will guide you in terms of what is likely to go down well with investors or not, and uh, you only sell equity to your investors. See, there is a small nuance. So Cedars is actually in a very distant way invested in your business because we have this thing where we take seven and a half percent carry on the profits that an investor makes. So what that means is if an investor makes an investment, let's say an investor makes 10 pounds, you exit five years later for 10, uh, 10x what, what you did for that round. The investor has made 100, 100 pounds from that investment. We will take seven and a half percent of that 100 pounds. So we make £7.50. So we're actually incentivized for every business we raise for to do really well in the future and, and continue onwards. To give you an idea, we've, we've done a raise for Revolut, um, uh, which is uh, obviously a well-known fintech. Um, uh, when they raised with us, their valuation was £300,000. Uh, sorry, 300 million. Gosh, not 300,000. That would be amazing. Uh, their valuation was 300 million. Um, and they've uh, just raised around a 5 billion valuation. Now, the shares haven't gone on our secondary market yet, but um, investors will have the opportunity to cash out 15x. You know, we we invested 3.9 million through Cedars in that. I think you can imagine how much money we might make from, from that investment when a business does well. Um, mm -hmm. That's kind of the point of the model. But we're not taking money from the company. Sorry, we're not taking equity from the company. That's that's the important thing. We're taking, you know, the, the, a, a portion of the profits the investor makes. From the use of the platform. Yeah. So um, what would you say in, in the time that you've been working at Cedars um, have been your major um, lessons and also any challenges that you faced while, while you're there? You said yeah, you, so, um, what you learned through uh, founding businesses. What would you say has been the main lesson through working? Okay, I, I've, got a, I've got a really good lesson I learned because it kind of taught me why my fundraising rounds were so painful. Um, uh, I'll be as I'll be as simple and succinct when I say this. Um, raising investment is a sales job. Um, I found that the best founders who are best at raising investment will treat it like a um, a, a full sales proposition, where um, they literally have a list of leads for investment, like a CRM. They will have contact points with each of these leads, put them through the process. And um, you know, it will come out the other end, um, uh, hopefully with you know a, a multi-touch approach with all these people, um, and you know, you you build up one investor, uh, you get one one on board, and the rest hopefully follow because you've got a good story of validation to give to everyone else. The founders that I have been really impressed by have been the ones that understand this and really hustle themselves. Mm. So there's a there's a there's obviously a thing like you know Cedars Cedars does get money for your business. You know we have investors that are looking to make investments, but you know and I always I always think this <laughs> probably don't say it much. Um, but um, why would, you know, we do this, but you shouldn't rely on it. Like, I, I, th mm -hmm. I think you putting a, a, a campaign on Cedars and just going, well, here it is, this is the money, I'm going to put my feet up and watch, is taking it all out of your hands. Why wouldn't you control the situation? Yeah. And why wouldn't you go out and try and approach as many people as you know and, and do this kind of CRM? 
that, that, that builds leads for your own personal connections because that is only going to give validation to the crowd and both of them build up and up and up until you get an amazing round. So every business that has really smashed out of the park in crowdfunding has done so because the founder's really hustling to, to really work at kind of a sales proposition for the investment and, and treating it like it, you know, I mean, it is virtually sales. Instead of your product, you're selling equity in your business. Yeah. It's just a different way of doing it. And the other thing is you might, you might be listening to this and thinking, well, I'm not a salesperson. That's really bad. I'm never going to, I'm never going to be be able to crowdfund or, or or fundraise. But the bottom line is, I never thought I was a salesman either. If you're not a salesman for your own business, because you, 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 people are good at selling something they believe in, and if you believe in your business, you will be a good salesman. Um, so you you know you. Uh, um, uh, I think I think the bo- the bottom line is you should all be good salespeople if you're founders. But for fundraising because you should be able to sell your business and don't worry too much about that just be organized and learn sales strategies in terms of building crms following up with people and um you know treat them like prospects like you would do for your business anyway in the sales department do you think that's been the like or you you didn't learn that while you were a founder because you no. so when when i was a founder this is another interesting anecdote that i think would be i i raised um so there was a there was a uh, just before we left, there was a round of funding. We actually d- didn't end up accepting the money because we got the investment from Just Eat and it was on different terms and we didn't want to put all these investors under a terms of convertible. But that's a very long story. Um, but we we had a round ready to go for 60K. We had three investors as part of that round. Uh, one of the investors we went to uh, um, was uh, had done uh, interview training for my founder once and we went to him to get pitch training. So it was like, tra- like I'm going to advise you on what should you should do for your pitch. You know, he trained us, but he also ended up liking the business enough. He pledged twenty grand for it. Mm-hmm. Um, another, another, another person he we met through uh, a, a contact that we had through our old school, um, and it was somebody that they knew. So it was a friend of a friend, basically. And the last investor was somebody, I'm not even joking, who overheard a conversation that we were having in a cafe before an investor meeting. So the way our round came together was just, in, in hindsight, really pure luck. Like we didn't do any of this stuff. And yeah. um, we just, we got our round together because we, we um, you know, we, we got a few lucky breaks from building our, building our network. But the one thing that does show you that I think is, is interesting advice for building around in, in future anyway is, you probably have the personal connections to connect you to more people afterwards. And um, that, that you should leverage for sure, because um, you know, you, you're even if, even if you don't know your investor right now, if you talk to people and you go out there and you do outreach to your own founders, then hopefully this will, this will move on and you'll get um, you know, further investment further down the line from people you don't know, but you've just been introduced to by people you do know. You need, just need to hustle. <laughs> Exactly. Um, so, of all the all the campaigns that you've uh, worked on at Cedars, wh- which are you, you the most proud of? It's a weird one. Uh, for pure vanity metrics, I guess I, I recently did a All Plants fundraise, which is three and a half million. That was um, founded by um, uh, it was it was seeded by two large VCs in in, in London, Octopus and um, Felix Capital. Um, uh, that was a really hot raise. Like it, you know, it, it really it got about two thousand investors. They raised three point four million. Uh, it was, it was definitely the highlight of the year for Cedars at the moment, and it was great to kind of get them on board and do that. But I uh, look, I alluded to it earlier. I don't. I, my, you know, 
that that's not the stuff I enjoy the most. The stuff I enjoy the most are the founders that just you know come out of nowhere and make it. And I do have this one amazing raise for um, an ice cream brand called Coconuts Naturally. That um, just because it was so unexpected, they they were they were raising a hundred grand. And they're about to launch in 600 Tesco stores. So it was kind of a nice story. Uh, she had 50 grand um, lined up from somebody that she knew. Um, she, you know, we had the conversation about the personal network and she was like, oh, well, I spoke to this, this woman who might invest, you know, but we haven't really talked. I've, I've kept in contact, but I've never really asked her for investment. Anyway, about a day before the campaign came in, that, that woman committed 40 grand. She went live on pretty much 100%. And in 14 days, it had reached 423K. She actually, we we had to have a call with her to convince her to raise more money because she was like, she was getting about 50 grand a day. And we were like, I've never seen anything like this for a seed fundraise. Like you just, just leave it, right? Don't worry too much about equity right now. This would be the easiest 100K you raise. And two days later, she'd raised it. We, she she literally had to take the campaign down because it was so popular. And to, to come from that, from from the point with, which she started on, which was just a seed fundraise, you know, maybe making a couple of, I think she was making 100K a year beforehand, was just really, really cool to see. Um, and you do get the occasional founder where that happens and they're just absolutely delighted by it. So that was probably, that probably still my favorite. And that happened in ooh, January 2019. So yeah, no, it I, I like that. That it's like the unexpected ones that actually yeah. uh, they're the best. Um so another question I have here is do you work with developers? Uh so uh, only if they are obviously part of a business that is raising money. Mm -hmm. Um I think that's that's really crucial is um uh, if you're a developer and you've got an idea, I think you need to really think about a business proposition. I think the, the developers I speak to um uh that that have uh you know an idea or a concept um uh they don't have a developed business yet and they're they're normally a, a little worse at understanding the commercial viability of the business they're great at explaining the products <laughs> but it's the commercial viability that people are investing in so uh yes we do but they you know they have to be business savvy yeah that's not yeah um and um in addition to your work at cedars you're also a mentor for a number of businesses um, so I don't know if you'd like to tell everyone who's listening about, uh, what a mentor is and your role with those companies. Yeah. As I said, it's really to try and make my time as a founder useful for people. Um, so, uh, look at, look at really, it often now comes down to fundraising. Um, so, you know, uh, one of the interesting parts about Cedars is I've seen loads of term sheets. I picked up the funny ways that investors try and screw you over in certain senses, um, I understand all the terms, et cetera. And people often come to me for, you know, valuation advice, advice on exactly how to pitch and who to pitch to, forms of fundraising to do, uh, terms that they've been offered by investors, that kind of thing. Um, uh, I, I, look, I, I, I've, got, I've got a lot of advice I give at early stage as well, but it's quite funny. I, I tend to give that advice and then these businesses will just only ask me whenever they <laughs> need fundraising advice now. <laughs> so I know where I'm useful, but um, uh, yeah, that, that, that's what I do at the moment. And um, I don't know if you'd like to elaborate a bit more on like what those companies are. And, uh... Yeah, sure. So um, I, I, quite a lot of them are through um, 
third parties. So uh, I, uh, for example, there's a accelerator in Bath called the Seed Fund that works with food businesses that um, I help out with the, with their accelerator every year. There's another uh, uh, thing called Accelerator Academy that's in London. By the way, if you're very early stage, I think they're they're great. They they really teach you how to make this into a business proposition. So I mentored there. Tech Italia is another one. Uh, I have a couple of friends of friends that have started businesses and go, oh, Scott, I know you started a business. Can you help with this part? Um, uh, there's a, there's a, um, uh, yeah, I, you know, a few friends in that sense that um, have done pretty well as well. So um, yeah, that, that tends to be, you know, where and how I mentor. And um, yeah, uh, it's a mixture of all types of businesses. I help yeah, software businesses. I've even got a fashion brand that I'm helping at the moment. Um, uh, a, um, uh, loads of food and beverage businesses as well. That's something I specialize in at Cedars as well. So I help with them. That's cool that you get to work in such a wide variety of, uh, of businesses because actually yeah. they're common. The, the thing that they seek out from you is the expertise and knowing how to sell their own equity. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, a few questions come through on crowdfunding. Yeah, should we look at a few of those? Yeah. So um, for everyone in the audience, you can upvote um, questions which you'd really like to hear. Um, and uh, questions that you want to Oh, okay. There's one that's got a nice two upvotes here that I will address because, um, hey, here we go. There's one question. How is Cedars different from other equity crowdfunding platforms and other? Why should I choose fundraising through Cedars rather than Crowdcube, Shadow Founder, or Syndicate Room? Uh, yeah, good questions. Um, uh, so uh, I, think, I think the best way to answer this is, um, so I'll, I'll quickly address a lot of the others that you post in there. So, um, you know, Cedars and Crowdcube right now are the ones making up the vast, vast, vast majority of UK crowdfunding. Um, Syndicate Room was the third biggest, but they've recently pivoted to a fund model. So you don't um, crowdfund through Syndicate Room really anymore. Shadow Founder, um, I, I have heard of, um, uh, you know, they, they do they do a handful of raises a year. But, you know, Cedars, we did 193 fundraisers last year. I think Crowdcube did about 170. And... I, I would hazard a guess Shadow Founder is somewhere in the region of 10 or 15, but I don't know the figures off the top of my head. So um, I guess we're significantly bigger. Um, uh, I had that answer the first part. Then, then it comes kind of comes down to, you know, okay, Season and Crowdcube are the significantly bigger ones that offer investment for 10 grand. You know, why? what's the difference? Sorry, 10 grand, 10 pounds per investor. What's the difference between those two? Um, I think the, because it, gosh, it looks so similar. I always struggle with founders you know they go to crowdcube's page and cedars page and they're like well cedars is just green and crowdcube is orange it's the same thing um really the the reality is um it, it's down to the investor products that are the main difference because of the differing business models now i mentioned earlier that we take a seven and a half percent carry fee um for uh all businesses um that raise through um cedars on the, on the profits made from investors um, Crowdcube's business model on the investor side is they take one and a half percent at the point of investment. So you can make as much money as you want, and I guess that's the benefit, but they take one and a half percent at the point of the investment. And the key difference between the two to understand the difference is Cedars is incentivized to help your company raise several more rounds and get to um, the point in which it might exit because that's where we make our money on the investor side of the marketplace. Crowdcube, it's purely just an execution platform. So it's for this round and this round only, which can be very good, obviously. But, you know, the, the reason I, the thing I would advocate for Cedars is we have way more innovative investor products as a result of this. You know, we have a secondary market, which is a big thing. 
which allows investors to sell equity early in businesses. You know, you can work out the logic for that, right? We make seven and a half percent profits whenever someone someone exits on the secondary market. It's a good monetization strategy for us. But equally, it's 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 there for you know businesses to benefit from by giving investors the opportunity of an early exit, and investors to benefit from by getting the opportunity to make an illiquid asset class because that's what raising in startups is more liquid. Um, we've also got EIS 100 fund, which is a fund that invests in businesses. So we can guarantee that all EIS businesses raising at the moment while the fund's still deploying, they get 2% of their money already. Definitely. We have, um, uh, we have a, a auto invest product as well, which um, is, uh, is designed that, you know, you can, you, you as an investor can put a 500 pound pot and you say, I want to invest this in software businesses uh, in the retail space, with 100 investors that are at least 50% funded. You can literally do that. And then it just automatically deploys into businesses you're interested in. So I guess we've got a load of innovative investor products and we're probably seen as the more investor-focused platform. But in my mind, that's the right place to be because that's where the money's coming from. And you as founders all want money, so you might as well you know, um, use the platform, I think, that, um, uh, that, that, that has the products for investors. Uh, I, I don't know if that answers the question properly, but I think the, the best way of looking at it is Cedars has a life cycle model where we want businesses to continually raise. We have businesses that raise 11 rounds of funding with us, um, uh, 10 rounds of funding. There's a company called Vico done 11 rounds, Lambay done 10 rounds. Uh, we've got a company right now that's raising again, Mr. Lee's that's on their fifth round. Um, this is a very, very common theme with, with us because we want to help businesses through the life cycle. Uh, whereas Crowdcube is more of an execution platform, you know, make a big shout about this fundraise now, but afterwards, you know, thanks guys, see you later. Um, we'll see you again if we see you kind of thing. So there's a, another uh, question here that is asking, what kinds of requirements do you, uh, do you have for companies before they can even join your platform? So if someone here is a, a yeah. entrepreneur, yeah, so um, uh, actually, this invites me to say that I think this this is really good advice if you want to crowdfund. Um, the money in a crowdfunding campaign only ever comes from three places. The first is your personal networks. So that's the stuff I mentioned about building that lead list, finding people that you already know that might be able to invest in the business. The second is a, um, a community. So those are customers. So people that will not know you personally, but know of your business because they're yeah normally customers or they're social media followers, that kind of thing. And the third is Cedars investors. So investors that are looking on Cedars for good business opportunities to, to rate, invest in. Really, when I'm assessing whether a business is right, I'm looking at all three of those things. And I'm going, right, do you have a viable option to get that personal investment that's going to give validation to this opportunity? A really nice metaphor I like that proves why this is important is imagine you're in a, um, a street and you're walking down, you know, it's a city you don't know and you're thinking of going for a place for food. Um, you know, you, you know nothing about the restaurants, uh, but you're probably going to go into the one that's half full rather than the one that's empty. And the one that's empty might be a Michelin star restaurant. It might have amazing trip advisor reviews. It might be fantastic, but you're going to walk into the half half empty one initially. Sorry, the half full one initially because um, yeah, half full, half empty. Depends on where you look at it. The half full one um, initially, because uh, you, you're going to think, well, these people must know something I don't. And that's literally how crowdfunding works. So you've got to build up a personal network of people that proves that validation. So you're looking like a half full restaurant by the time that you're in. Um, and then that hopefully attracts people to click on you, find out more and get more interested in the proposition. So 
um, that's a really key part of it. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm particularly interested in um, uh, yeah businesses that know how to build that up. And then the other thing is we've got trends on Cedars at the moment of businesses that we know do well. If, you, if you've got a fair valuation, you know, you're going in a sector that's growing, you've got a really good pitch, you've got a really neat, innovative idea. All these, all these businesses tend to do really well. There's a big trend at the moment on things like sustainability. We see sustainable businesses doing fantastically. Investors want to back on Cedars want to back with their head, but also with their heart. You know, they want to they want to back businesses they personally believe in and want to see succeed, as well as ones that you know logically are going to make money. Um, and then, yeah, that, I mean, that's really important. And the only other thing is customer base. But to be honest, at an early stage, that's we normally assume that's not very good. So what I'm really looking for in businesses is you have a network and a hustle mentality that means that you can go out and do that, provide the validation, and you've got a fair proposition that I know is going to go down well with our investors. Mm. If you've got those two things, you will succeed for sure. Um, I've not had a business that's nailed both of those two things and failed. It, it, that kind of uh, there's a question from Tina Chen that's asking about coconut naturally um, and why it was so successful. Do you think that is an element of it in like in that they captured uh, the heart? Yeah, so uh, no, absolutely. This is a really good segue because coconut naturally. The reason that was so successful is three things. I think one, they their restaurant wasn't half full. It ended up being almost entirely full. Yeah. Uh, so, so when they went live on day one, they really looked amazing, and that was partly done by accident because obviously, I, d I don't think even Cecily, who's the founder, expected that 40k investor to convert for that amount of money. Uh, we, we, she certainly didn't say it was a possibility when we talked, but um, yeah, they, they ended up being a 90% full restaurant when they started, which provided amazing validation. Another thing is they raised at the right time. I think this timing is a really important part. Everyone raises money when they need it, but really investors want to invest in a business when it's hot. And the thing with Coconuts actually is they just secured a 600 launch in Tesco. So um, 600 store launch. So um, this was the bullet point that just nailed it for them. Like, you know, everyone was just like, oh my gosh, okay, here's a business on the verge of taking off. We know they're mm -hmm. going live in Tesco in March. But, but to be fair, their valuation did um, uh, reflect the fact that they were expecting the Tesco launch, but it was a decent valuation. It was certainly... Um, competitive and 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 you know it's proven to be good since because they actually raised almost double that valuation in 12 months afterwards um but yeah i think investors saw it as a good investment opportunity because it was raising at the right time it was hot uh, you know in terms of the the validation um uh and then and then the the only last thing i would say about about it is it just had a fantastic video and um, Cecily came across as very likable. It fitted in a trend with like healthy ice cream and veganism and sustainability. I, yeah, I think I think all of those was kind of the perfect. Oh, actually, there was one other perfect storm that was kind of weird is we had a, an ice cream brand called Oppo, uh, which raised three rounds with us that exited um, for 6x return for their first investors uh, just a month before that campaign came in. So we had loads of investors that were sitting with an investment exit capital in their, bank, in, their, in their Cedars account, who've well. invested in a healthy ice cream company, and we're asking them to invest in a, another healthy ice cream company. <laughs> it's it not easy, it's not hard to see why that might be attractive as well. But that was mm. that was just a luck of the timing, I think. Internal trends on Cedar. Yep. Um, there's an interesting question here about um, Kickstarter campaigns are reliant on external marketing efforts, bringing new back backers. It's kind of fit, like fits in with what we were just talking about, about having already pre-existing like marketing campaigns. Um, to what extent is this the norm on Cedars? I.e. on average, what proportion of investment raised from existing investors already registered on Cedars 
versus new investors <laughs> oh casey you're asking the that that last bit is like the golden question that, that i think everyone involved in equity crowdfunding has been trying to answer for yonks actually this fits back with another question i saw um uh, specifically on on crowdcube and uh they're not filtering pitches versus Caesars filtering pitches so i think it's fair to say there's a little bit of a disagreement in in the space on what that means so crowdcube we know that they um uh they they allow any business on that's got 20 percent of the capital that they need um uh i mean to be fair i don't know if this is any business because they do due diligence and stuff and i wouldn't want to say that specifically but they their requirement is you get 20 percent of the money and then you can go live on the platform um you know we at cedars we it's a bit more complicated than that there are some businesses that will need five percent of the money lined up and they have such a strong community that that can take it forward and fund the business right away and you only need five percent of the money yet we also have some businesses normally b2b businesses actually that that need you know maybe 50 60 percent lined up in order to make sure they get the rest of the money from seeders investors um it just depends on the type of business and we're not comfortable giving a blanket you know you need 20 percent because every business is different every business has a different strategy for fundraising and it's really important that we work that out so casey to answer your question directly um uh, the proportion of investment raised differs wildly between campaigns. I wouldn't want to give an average because it would just be so misleading. Um, but I think it depends on the type of business you are and the the other types of opportunity that you've got. Um, with regards to Kickstarter, I know that about 80% of the money in a normal Kickstarter campaign will come from people that have been originated by the business. Um, I think it's fair to say on Cedars it's a lot less than that. Um, uh, for on average for most campaigns but again it would depend on the type of campaign um i think the best guidance i can give you is if you're a um uh if you've got a, a massive community of followers on on social media you've got a product where you're really regularly engaging with your customers um online um that's going to need far less pre-committed capital because you've got a good community that can hopefully build this through than a business that is a b2b product uh, in a in a sector that very few people understand um, I think that's the best way I can kind of try and explain that. But yeah, Kickstarter campaigns, it's about 80% of the money normally needs to be bought from people that you've got. And it, very few businesses start a Kickstarter campaign without a marketing agency helping them. So if you're considering Kickstarter, by the way, I just a personal perspective, I love Kickstarter and Indiegogo. I think they're fantastic ways to build sales in your business before you've started. I think the reason why you would choose a Caesar or a Crowdcube and raise a Caesar or a Crowdcube is because you you get the money to grow your business with kickstarter the money you raise is often just used to pay out the rewards and it's just a way of getting early sales before you've got your product so it's not really a substitute for raising money um but um they're fantastic platforms that i would really recommend it's a it's a great way of building up a, a network and, and marketing your product to new people before you've got the physical product there to sell um i'm just seeing what other answers are or what questions are popular Oh, it's clarification points. It's been upvoted three times. Clarification points. Right, yeah, point. yeah. yeah, I sorry. This is very complicated. Um uh I I I I I admit. Um uh so um we take seven and a half percent of the profits made by the investor on exit. So it's nothing to do with the company. Forget the company, that's very separate. We don't take equity in the company. We only take a commission, basically, from investors when they exit on the profits made from the investment. So if it, there's some businesses that won't make much profit on exit, you know, you might get an offer to be bought 
out, you know, two months after you've raised, the valuation maybe goes up by, I don't know, 0.1x. Um, uh, yeah, we're not making much money off those businesses because the 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 profit will be tiny. Um, uh, if a business loses money and exits at a price that is lower than the valuation they last raised at, then we make no money at all. If the business has done really well, then we'll make money, but only off the investors, not off the business. Uh, hopefully that answers your question. So there's only incentive for the company to grow. <laughs> um, let's see. Does Cedars maintain a coaching relationship? Okay. Uh, again, uh, this is the best way to tell the difference between the platforms generally. We stand for helping businesses over numerous rounds because that's where you know the business model makes sense. Um, we have an alumni club. We call it alumni club. So it's basically a, a team that help with fundraising on an ongoing basis that is a point of contact. After your alumni, you've done a successful round of seeders, you enter that club and you can use them at any point for help with fundraising. We also have relationships with uh, VCs, um, uh, um, VCTs, uh, uh, angel syndicates, um, private equity companies that are also actively looking to be introduced to investments, and we can help you know get a pitch deck ready. We actually have an entirely other entire other team at Cedars it's called the Investor Team that we often use with our alumni to help them raise more money further down the line. So to be fair, Benjamin, we kind of know where our expertise is, which is fundraising. So the advice we offer is very much fundraising based, but there are things that you get through our alumni club like discounts on Amazon web credits because Amazon have done a deal with us or um, uh, you know a discount on using a HR platform to get your new hire, stuff like that. But really the way people value us on an ongoing basis is we literally have a team that's job it is to help the alumni raise further rounds of funding and help them on an ongoing basis because it makes sense with our business model. And that's very unique to see this. Do those companies pay for your services? Uh, when they're in the so if, if if they do another fundraise through Cedars, yes, they'll pay for the fundraise through Cedars like they would do for a normal fundraise. Mm. Um, if we successfully introduce capital to them, then yes, again, that 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 is going to be commissioned because that's exactly the, exactly the same with any corporate advisory company. Um, in fact, our commissions are often quite low, lower than theirs anyway. So yes, if there's a successful outcome which involves either an introduction that we made that, that reduce, results in an investment or a, another Cedars campaign that results in success, then yes, we make money off that. But uh, advice is free. <laughs> you know, if you need advice on who to go to, that kind of stuff, we don't charge for that. You know, that's that's something that we are incentivised to to do on an ongoing basis. Okay, we have time for maybe two or three more questions. Um, so get them in, guys. Um, uh, how to rewards? That's an interesting one. Uh, um, rewards for equity. That's been upvoted three times, I think. Um, so, so, uh, so yeah, this is, this is interesting to understand. Some campaigns, um, on Cedars will uh, offer rewards as well as equity. So a really, really good example. I've, I'll use the best example of this because I just think it was a fantastic ideas. We did a raise for Tost, the salad company. You might remember that for when you could walk around London and get lunch, uh, <laughs> but you can't, obviously can't, haven't been able to do that for a month. So, um, uh, they, um, uh, they offer this amazing reward where if you invested over £2,500, you get a card that gives you 50% off your salads uh, for a year. Um, and uh, that was a perfect understanding of their customer base because um, what it was basically is, you know, their customers are mainly city workers um, uh, who probably have a bit of spare cash, might want to invest it, but th would think 2500 is quite a lot higher than they might otherwise consider. Maybe they invest 500, £1,000, but you're kind of saying to them, well, if you put it, pull a bit more money out, then you can get this card and you could 
use this card to get you know food for all your all your friends in the office and it's going to be great um uh, and, and and that worked so well they actually got 321 people investing over two and a half grand ticket sizes which is unbelievable it's an amazing job with that um so rewards work really well with campaigns providing you know they're used for the right reasons which is basically twisting an investor's arm to invest a little more than they otherwise would invest um, and you can often use that as a, an incentive to get them in the really crucial thing is under SEIS and EIS regulations, um, if your campaign is EIS eligible, you can't be offering a monetary value reward, if that makes sense. So um, you can't you can't give them like, I don't know, a free service for ages if it costs you money to make the service. The reason that 50% worked is because TOS margin was basically eaten up. They're basically giving the salads away for cost price, and that was allowed. Um, but lower than that, that can be a bit of a problem sometimes. So you just have to be aware of the EIS, SEIS regulations, and you can't be too liberal with giving away loads of free stuff for the rewards because it might put that in jeopardy. Um, do you want to answer a topical question on the impact of uh, COVID-19? Oh, well, you haven't had one. Why not? I actually did a, a webinar on this last week, so it's fresh in the memory. So, what is the question? I haven't seen it. Well, um, what's been the impact of COVID-19? Are you helping companies bridge the current period of uncertainty? Yeah, so um, so it's really interesting. I think like the rest of the world, um, I, I wouldn't like to pretend we know what's what's happening um, or everyone knows exactly what's going to happen. Um, and I think there has been a little bit of so, you know, a few assumptions made with regards to that. So, as soon as I'll, I'll, you know, I'll give you the transparent uh, situation. You know, in the first week that it happened, um, uh, we saw a drop off in investment on the platform for sure. Um, there, I think investors were a bit confused, concerned. Um, uh, it was a bit of a, you know, a bit of an issue. We had founders that were panicking slightly, being like, "Oh, I don't want investors to pull out. I'll, I'll take my campaign down." And we were kind of saying, you know, we wanted to help the founders. We didn't look. We, honestly, I don't think that was ever a wise thing to do. Um, but we were helping founders really specifically make that, you know, um, uh, you know, do that because that's what they wanted. Um, and uh, yeah, look, it, 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 since then we've definitely seen uh, uh, an uptick. I think people have finally kind of realised. Well, hang on, startups are long-term assets. They're not volatile like the stock market. Um, I'm investing for the long term. As long as this proposition is proving that it's not going to collapse as a result of COVID-19, then you know it's a it's a decent investment opportunity. And platform investment now per campaign is up to the same level as it was before the crisis. Another really interesting thing, I think we're solving a problem here because you know I, I mentioned earlier, if you're if you're out talking to investors, you need to have term sheets, these these kind of things, hand them over, maybe have meetings. Mm. Of course, we're a digital only platform, you know, yeah. we built not to have meetings so i think i think that's that's also been a problem solver for a lot of investors and a lot of businesses mm. so um you know i think i think the impact to the business as a whole is it, you know it's it's doing fine we're still ready and open for business one of the things we're massively advocating at the moment i won't go into massive detail on this but in in my webinar we talked a lot about advanced assurance agreements so asas if you're if you're planning on raising now i really would do the research so i don't have to go into it in great detail and I'd waste all your time on, on what an advanced description agreement is um because uh that's a great way to kick the valuation can down the road and basically say to investors look i know this is an uncertain time um, but I, I'm going to value my business on the next fundraising round and give you a discount for this valuation if you invest now. It's a great way to get investment now to help tie you over 
And we facilitate ASA campaigns. We're doing an express service to help people get it up and uh, get get it up, <laughs> get, get the campaign up on the platform. Uh, so, so, so it's a really important part of the process, just making sure that we're helping founders during this. It's something we all passionately believe in. I think that's the best way to do it, making sure that founders that have real you know, needs for capital now. We've got a platform that enables them to raise it digitally. Mm. With Airfeed, we've got processes like this advanced subscription agreement that help you through this and should help your investors through this. And that's kind of what we're trying to do to, to really help with the process at the moment. It's good that Cedars is already, in, you know, as, as you said, in, in an online platform, like it has it's an established identity, like it's well, uh, it's well set up to weather the storm. Okay, guys, last question. I don't know if you've seen any that... Um, Ah, there's one. Sorry, I voted three times, asked an hour ago, uh, how well received are pre-revenue crowdfunding campaigns, especially for mobile apps? I also think this might be really relevant to your audience. Um, we have done pre-revenue raises, and there are very few places where you can do pre-revenue raises. So I think that's a really interesting first kind of answer to that. Um, uh, really, pre-revenue companies need to prove a lot more, I think. And mm. by nature, at their pre-revenue, Normally, they don't have a community, so you really do rely on a personal network and a founder that's willing to go out there and provide the validation. Because ultimately, if you put a pre-revenue company in front of our investors, even a mobile app, and uh, it's got you know 70% of the money committed, then people are going to take a look. Um, and if it's a good idea and it's got a credible business proposition, then yes, it is worked. I've 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 done you know I've done fifty successful raises on Cedars since I've been at Cedars. I reckon maybe five of them were pre-revenue. So. Um, hopefully that gives you a good idea that we can do them. I think it just means that because you, you're unlikely to have, you know, paying customers that are really passionate about your product at this stage, uh, you need a you need a personal network that you're really working, and you need to show a real desire to go out and do that with a good proposition. Thanks for listening to the Wagon Live. Tune in next week for another episode. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe by hitting the subscribe button. 